the name of Jesus for that name that is above every name, the grace and the mercy and the love that you have for us that we certainly do not deserve. Father, we pray as we open up your word that you would speak to us from it. We pray that we would be challenged by it. We pray your Holy Spirit would convict us where conviction is needed. And most importantly, that you would change us this morning into the image of Jesus. It's in his good and holy and precious name that we pray. Amen and amen. I want to invite you to take your Bible and open with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, as I want to spend a few minutes this morning thinking about uh, the idea of when God opens up your mouth. I know for some of you, you may be praying that God will close someone's mouth, especially about minute 20 of a sermon. I'm sure that becomes your prayer. But uh, we're going to think today about when God opens your mouth. Uh, You know, last Sunday was just one day after Christmas, and the the spirit of Christmas was still strong. Uh, A lot of Christmas music was being played, and all the Christmas lights were still up, and there were still Christmas gatherings to be had, and and trees and decorations for many of you were still out. And, and now we're a week out from Christmas, and the leftover turkey's got that, you know, it gets that yellowish tint to it after a certain time, that little greenish tint to it. Is it maybe it's just me that notices that, but it's kind of getting that, that tint to it about this time, and, and schedules are getting back to, to normal, and that I'm sorry that teachers have to report tomorrow, and and students the day after, and it's kind of getting back to the grind, back to the routine. A lot of people go through some kind of letdown during this time of year, and I think that's, that's normal. It's, it's hard to get back into a groove when some big event has taken place that you've looked forward to and for which you've planned and prepared and, and, and anticipated, and that event's now over, and, and it's kind of difficult to get back into that rhythm. And, and I wonder, as, as Mary and Joseph, uh, as they went through their experience, if, if they maybe the, the week, you know, last Sunday we looked at the, the days after Christmas, and, and I wonder if maybe that week after Christmas uh, they experienced a, a similar feeling. I, I wonder what they felt like when the shepherds stopped visiting and the, the angels no longer made their announcements and the magi were long gone. What was life like for them day in and day out as they just tended to the normal routine of life as they raised this boy who they knew was very different but who also from almost every other physical perspective and from what a man could see looked just like any other person and acted like any other child. I wonder if maybe a clue for how Mary handled that might be found in the words in Luke chapter 2, when the angel visited her, and it tells us that, that Mary pondered all those things. She, she treasured what the angel said, and she pondered all those things in her heart. And, and I wonder if that is what 
allowed her to go through the mundane in the later seasons of her life. She didn't marginalize what happened. She didn't downplay it. She didn't discount it. She did not forget it. <clears throat> Rather, I wonder if she carried them with her through the normal seasons of life as she did the routine, as she did the mundane. I don't doubt at all that, that Mary went back in her mind, in her spirit, to that angelic visit and, and the promises that God made to her. And, and I don't doubt one bit that she laid hold of those promises day in and day out as she lived her life for the honor and the glory of God. I think it would do us good to follow her example in that way by, by treasuring the words that God has spoken to us and pondering what God has said to us in our hearts. It's good for you and I to occasionally stop the constant going and moving and planning and thinking and just take a step back and to remember again what God has done for us, what he's promised to us, and where God is taking us. And I think the second day of a new year is a good time to do that. And a good example for us to use about how to do that is a, a prophecy that a man spoke, and he spoke it as a song or as a psalm, and it's found for us in Luke chapter 1. Let me give you the background real quick to Luke chapter 1. There was a man who was a priest by the name of Zechariah. He had a wife whose name was Elizabeth, and they were very devout, very righteous, a very God-fearing man and woman. Zechariah and Elizabeth could not have children. She was barren. In their culture, that was very much a stigma, and the couple was way beyond the years of childbearing ability. So Zechariah one day goes into the temple, and he goes to do what the priestly duties called for him to do. This particular day, he was just going in to burn incense. That was his job for that day. And as he goes in to perform this ritual, this, this priestly duty, an angel shows up. The angel's name was Gabriel. And Gabriel shows up and says, you are going to have a son. That son's name is to be John. You're to call him John. And this son is going to have a very unique ministry and role in God's plan. The angel told Zechariah, this son is going to prepare the way for Jesus. This son is going to go before Jesus and get things ready for his arrival. Zechariah responded by saying, how can I trust what you're saying to me? I'm an old man man. And Gabriel said, shut your mouth. And he shut his mouth. That's, that's my translation. It's my interpretation of what Gabriel said. I don't know what it, exactly what it means in the Greek, but it's pretty close, I'm sure. And he shuts his mouth. And Gabriel is, or excuse me, Zechariah is unable to speak until that baby is born. Wives, her husband could not say a word for months. All right, there we go. <laughs> His mouth was shut by the Holy Spirit, and he could not say anything. Well, so much transpired. And this same angel, Gabriel, 
goes up to another town called Nazareth and appears to another woman named Mary, who is related to Elizabeth. And he says to Mary, you're going to have a child, and you shall call his name Jesus. You're to give him this name. This will be your child. And so then the angel says, not only that, Mary, one of your relatives, Elizabeth, is also going to have a child. So Mary goes down to visit Elizabeth to celebrate this news, and little John in Elizabeth's womb begins to, to, to have a dance party. And it's odd we call him John the Baptist, because that's just weird. But uh, he begins to have a dance party in the womb, and he leaps for joy. He's excited when he hears the voice of Mary saying that she is going to have a child. And both of these ladies are filled with the Holy Spirit. Mary burst out in a song of praise, and they spend the next several months with each other, which brings us to Luke chapter 1, verse 57. Zechariah is still, his, his mouth is still shut, his, his lips are closed, when we pick up in verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, <coughs> excuse me, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, because he can't speak, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote his name as John. And they all wondered. I think that means they're gossips. I <laughs> <laughs> they called him John. He's not called this. He's called his daddy's name. So they are Baptist after all. Verse 64. And immediately his Zachariah's mouth was opened. For the first time in months, his tongue was loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea, and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, and here's what he, when God opened his mouth, here's what he said. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our fathers. Father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. That was one sentence. This man had a lot to say, and he said it very quickly. One sentence. He starts sentence number two in verse 76. And you, child, speaking about the child in his wife's womb, John, you will be called the prophet of the Most High. 
For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. I want to use Zechariah's prophecy, I want to allow his prophecy, his psalm, to, to speak to us today, to, to challenge you to use your voice in this new year to do three things. Because as I look at what Zechariah said, when God opened his mouth, I think he used his mouth, his voice, to declare these same three things. First is this, use your voice to declare what God has done in the past. Make it your commitment this new year to use your voice to declare what God has done in the past. This psalm focuses on a list of things that God did for his people. It focuses on a list of things that God has done for us. So if you're thinking, but what has God done for me? What can I say that God has done for me in the past? Just look at some of what Zechariah says as he, he talks about in verse 68 how God in the past has redeemed his people. He said, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. That idea of redemption is the idea of buying something back at a great cost. Redemption for Zechariah would have been very significant to him as it would to all the Jews who were at this point in Luke chapter 1, once again under the oppression of a distant government. They were not free in their own state. Zechariah had this political redemption in mind but as we look back at what God has done when Zechariah says that God has visited and redeemed his people it's not talking about a political redemption it's talking about a spiritual one what has God done for us in the past he's redeemed us as as we were dead in our trespasses and sins and God came and purchased us out of that marketplace of sin to the death of his son, Jesus. We can use our voice to declare that God's redeemed us. He says in verse 69 that what God's done for us in the past is he's raised up a horn of salvation. That horn is a symbol of strength. You can literally read that. God has provided us with a mighty Savior. Now this is significant at this point to, to notice that this is a prophecy that Zechariah is speaking over his son, about his son John, but before before he gets to John, he has to tell us about Jesus. Well, what a lesson for us. Before we, we focus on anything else, before we talk about anything else from our lips, should first come our praise to Jesus. This is what God has done. He's provided a, a horn of salvation. We have a, a mighty God who is able to save, who's able to do far more abundantly than we ask or imagine. There is not a sinner so far gone that God cannot save them. There is not a boy or girl or a man or a woman so deep in sin that God could not reach down and bring them up. I think about the words of the psalmist who said that he brought me up out of that pit. He set my feet upon a rock. He 
put a new song in my mouth. God transforms our lives. He is a mighty Savior in raising up a horn of salvation that ought to be declared to others what God has done for us in the past. What would motivate God to do that? Here's something else you can tell somebody what God's done in the past. He's shown you mercy. That's what he says in verse 72. To show mercy promised to our fathers. What motivated God to provide this gift of salvation in Christ? It was mercy. You know what mercy is? Mercy is when you extend kindness to someone who is in considerable need, who is in a pitiful position. Mercy is God recognizing our need and God responding to our need while we were in our helpless state in remembering what God has done for us. Let's remember why God did this for us. He had kindness for us. He wanted to meet us at our very deepest point of need. Zechariah recalled the promises of God. He said that that mercy in verse 72 was promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. He recalls the covenant that God made with Abraham. We can declare to others what God has done for us in the past. He's kept his promise. He's kept his covenant. He's kept his word. This is a reminder of the faithfulness of God. No matter how it appears at the moment, God will not forget the promises he has made, but he will be true. See, this, this is just a, a sample of how Zechariah used his voice to declare what God had done in the past. Let's also keep in mind this year all that God has done for us. We can declare with the psalmist, Psalm 126 and verse 3, the Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Use your voice this year, as Zechariah did, when God opened his mouth to declare what God has done in the past. Second, use your voice to declare what God wants to do in the present. When God opened Zechariah's mouth, he not only spoke about what God did in the past, but he gave attention to what God wants to do in the present, his, his shift focuses, or his focus shifts, either one, in verse 76, from what God has done to what God is doing. Look at what he says in verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. You'll go before the Lord, prepare his ways. Look at verse 77. To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. The specifics of this prophecy are directed at John. But the prophecies contained in it are promises that God makes to all of us through John. These promises are related to what God promises to do in our present day. And Zechariah, in verse 77, he mentioned two specific promises. The knowledge of salvation and the forgiveness of sins. Now, obviously, John did not bring salvation, nor did John have the ability to forgive sin. Those were exclusive activities of Jesus. What this prophecy makes clear is that 
John will be the one to point to these things. He will prepare the way. He will proclaim the promises of God to save and to forgive. Activities that God is doing in the present to save and to forgive. These same promises need to be pointed out to our world today. The message of salvation and the message of forgiveness still needs to be proclaimed today. The world needs to hear again and again and again that God desires to forgive sin and give salvation to anyone who will call out upon his name. And if nothing else happens to a person this year, if God will forgive their sin, if God will grant them salvation, that is enough for eternity. This is what God wants to do in the present. Look, I don't know what sins you're struggling with today. I don't know what guilt you brought with you from 2021 into 2022. But I do know this. There is salvation and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. You can have a new start in Christ because in Christ you are a new creation. Jesus used John to bring this message to his culture. In fact, the first sermon that John preaches is very simple. He preaches repentance. Repentance because God's kingdom was on its way. Jesus was coming. Behold the Lamb of God, he said, who takes away the sin of the world. That Lamb demands us repent. That Lamb of God who sacrificed for the sins of the world calls us to faith and to repentance to receive salvation, to receive forgiveness. John brought that message to his culture and we must declare it to ours. We have a responsibility to to be to our culture what John was to his, a person who points other people to Jesus. We need to boldly proclaim the message of salvation and forgiveness to people around us. It's what God wants to do in the present today. We can cling to the promise of salvation. We can cling to the promise of forgiveness. We can cling to the promise that God has sent his son for us, that he has not left us as orphans, but he's given us the Holy Spirit to guide us and to sustain us. And as we cling to those promises of what God is doing now, we can't help but use our voice to declare the same promises to those who have yet to believe and trust the one who makes them. Use your voice to declare what God wants to do in the present. And number three, use your voice to declare what God will do in the future. What he's done for us in the past, what he wants to do for people in the present, and what God will do in the future. Look at the very end of the prophecy in verse 79. Zechariah is talking about John's role to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death. And then he flips it back to those who have this relationship, who are following God. 
to guide our feet into the way of peace or the path of peace. It's the thing about this path, this way of peace, is that you and I have yet to complete it. We are walking that path right now. God isn't finished with us at the point of saving us and forgiving us. There's still work to be done. God, God's desire is to guide our feet into the way of peace. That is a path that still lies before us, a walk we have yet to complete. It's what God will do in our lives in the future. God put his plan of salvation into effect in the past. He continued to accomplish that plan in the present. He's going to continue to work through the lives of those who are a part of that plan in the future. As the Apostle Paul would later say in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, that he was sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Listen, as life gets back to normal, there is still more. All that is good is not behind us. We have not peaked, nor should we anticipate nothing but a downhill ride from here. God still desires to guide us. He still desires to lead us into a path of peace and service to Him. This is an important truth to embrace as we enter into a new year. God has all kinds of things in store for us. There are opportunities to serve Him. There are opportunities to share the gospel, to witness for Him. There are opportunities to experience His presence in times of joy and in times of frustration. Through all the things ahead, God's desire is to guide us into paths of peace. Ladies and gentlemen, our journey has just begun. God is come among us. He has changed things. He has changed us. Now we can walk with him. We can be encouraged by all the things that he's done for us in the past. We can be encouraged by the promises he's made to us in the present. And we can be encouraged by the fact that God is taking us forward, guiding us into the future that he has prepared for us. That's a God worth following. That's a Jesus worth serving. If you're not following him, it doesn't matter what else you're following. It's not going to take you where he can take you. It doesn't matter what else you're chasing. You're not going to find in whatever you're chasing what you'll find in Jesus. So my simple question to you this morning is are you following him? There is a Lord of your life. Every single person has that Lord. It may be yourself. You, you may have you at the center of your world. You may be serving you. It may be climbing a, a corporate ladder or trying to get that promotion or, or trying to do this or trying to do that. And those are all good, noble things, but those things are not meant to be the Lord of your life. There is place in your heart for one throne, for one person to sit upon. And if it's not Jesus, if it's not Jesus, it's not worth having.
What shall it profit a man or a woman if he or she gains the whole world but loses his own soul? Are you following Jesus? In just a second, I'm going to pray. After I pray, we're going to stand, we're going to sing. Maybe today, during this time of worship, as we've sung about the grace of God, you've come to realize you've never experienced it. As, we, as, we, as we've looked at the, the forgiveness of God and salvation, maybe you've realized that you've never experienced that forgiveness. As I pray, would you simply cry out to God as best you know how and confess your sin to him and ask him to be your Lord and Savior. For those who call upon him, he won't cast a single one aside. Maybe as you prepare to go into this year, you think maybe it's already too late. Take heart, we're only two days in. And God is a God who can undo our mess and cause beauty to come from brokenness. Would you make a commitment in your heart to use your voice to allow God to open your mouth to declare to others what he has done for you, to declare what he wants to do in your life and others' lives today, and to share with others the hope we have that God is going to guide us on the path of peace until one day we find ourselves in his presence. What a day that will be. But until we get there, may he open our mouth and use our voices to make much of him. Father God, I thank you that you entered into our suffering, you entered into our sin, yet you did not sin and you chose to suffer. Father, as you have made it possible through your son for us to have eternal life today, I pray if there's one here in this room today that does not have you as their Lord and Savior, that today they would make you Lord and Savior. They would confess their sins, they would repent of those sins, they would place their trust and faith in what Jesus did on the cross. The fact that he was buried and rose again to give us victory, not just in life, but also, and even more so, in death. Father, I don't know what you are placed, what you have placed upon our hearts or are calling us to do at this moment, but I pray that we'd simply be submissive and sensitive to what you're calling us to do, to put our yes on the table and to follow you, to use our voice to declare how great and good you are. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Stand and sing.